This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of NBC Sports Edge Round Ball Stew. I am not your normal host. That would be Matt Straup, who isn't with us today. Uh, I'm Ryan Knauss, hosting in. Don't worry, you'll be back in Matt's capable hands soon enough. Uh, with me, as usual, Raphael Johnson, Steve Alexander. Uh, Steve, I'm sure you in particular are doing better now that Summer League is over and we can shift our attention to training camp and preseason, all that goodness. Well, shifted my attention to writing the draft guide, ranking some players, coming up with my guys, my guys list, and uh, playing a little Golden Tee. There's a big nice. Golden Tee tournament in Nashville, Tennessee right now. It's happening right now. And uh, oh. I was I really wanted to go. There's like 190 guys playing in this tournament. They've got like 50 machines set up in this bar room, but <laughs> I uh, couldn't make it work. There's always next year. There I guess is. Golden Tee's not going anywhere. There's always right? next year. I don't know. The way the world's going, Golden Team may not be here next year. I'm not sure. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You mentioned the the top 200 lists, Raph. Are you, you know, we're we're all starting to consider that and starting to build our lists and think about different roles and things. We'll get into that in today's podcast. But how do you approach something like this? Like, is it blank slate right now? Do you go back to last year's rankings and build from that? What's what's your approach, Raph? I I tend to give go a little bit more towards last year's ranking just because coming mm-hmm. from a college basketball background, ranking teams and ranking people is hard to do it on a completely blank slate. So <laughs> I kind of need a little bit of a, a right. canvas, so to speak, to work with. I couldn't imagine doing it completely blank because either way, you're probably going to forget someone which is kind of a good reason why we kind of collaborate on this. But, you know, if you try to right. do it just blank, yeah, that <laughs> I don't, I would have a hard time with that person. Oh, that would be an interesting exercise, and I guarantee I would forget a dozen yeah. key starters for different mm-hmm. teams around the league, and it, it wouldn't go well. 
Um, but that's part of why I wanted to talk about positions, position battles yeah. in today's podcast and changing roles. And Raf, you came to mind because we played in a couple year uh, leagues last year. And as you worked your way and managed your way towards multiple championships, mm-hmm. I felt like you had a good feel for uh, changing roles and yeah. player values. And uh, for instance, you picked up Nicholas Batum really early in the season, pretty sneaky. This was a nine cat mm-hmm. league, good pickup. Thaddeus Young yeah. out of nowhere was <laughs> becoming like an assist machine and steals. But it wasn't just the old guys. You had Kevin Herter, you picked up. I remember in the fantasy playoffs, you were whooping me mm-hmm. and you had O'Shea Brissett on your team, you know, riding that yeah. crazy wave at the end mm-hmm. of the season. So anyway, impressive moves. You obviously have a good feel for changing values and, and position battles. Thank you. It's, it's luck. You know, luck sometimes too. So. <laughs> to some extent, but you got to have your eyes yeah, open at exactly. all times and, and your and your finger on the on the mouse mm-hmm. for the waiver wire. Um it looks like we've lost Steve, but I'm sure he'll he'll come in soon enough. I was uh, wondering why he wasn't you're listening moving. to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he was just frozen mm-hmm. in anticipation of what we'd say next. So, Raf, let's start. Let's see. We'll go with the Wizards power forward spot or frankly, both of their forward mm-hmm. spots. Um, the impetus for this GM Tommy Shepard said recently that he expects Rui Hachimura to remain a starter. Uh, he did mention according to one of their beat writers, I forget who, Chase Hughes maybe, that Denny Avdiha may be joining the second unit. So I'll preface this by saying that Rui Hachimura played 0% of his minutes at small forward last year, according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, whereas Kyle Kuzma with the Lakers was apparently at 52% of his time was as a small forward. Uh, assuming they roll out a lineup of Dinwiddie, Beal, Kuzma, Hachimura, Bryant, does that do anything for you with Kuzma Hachimura, or are there any other forwards in the mix who might jump out at you from this group? Um, not too much. I think Hachimura, I have a little bit of optimism based on the role he had to take on for Japan in the Olympics. Um, he had to be he had to be more aggressive because he, along with Yuta Watanabe, were their best player. And I think that's been an issue at times for him with the Wizards, where Kind of wanted to make sure he didn't step on any toes offensively. And, and that at times may have worked to his detriment in terms of individual production. Uh, but now you've got one ball dominant guard and Russell Westbrook out of the equation. I don't see Dinwiddie filling that type of role for the Wizards, although he's obviously going to start. So I think there's a little bit more optimism for me in terms of Hachimura. Kuzma. On paper, it's a greater chance for him to excel outside, you know, other than being alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis. But we've seen him in those positions before when those guys have gotten hurt. And I just really haven't been too impressed in terms of his fantasy production. So I think I would go Hachimura. Bryant, you know, he's coming off the ACL tear. So who knows what his minutes are going to be like. Even with a new head coach, that center position still seems like a mess to me. So I think Hachimura would get the edge in my book. I'm with you there at the center spot. The the presence of Harold and Gafford we've yeah. talked about before and and Bryant's injury kind of scares me off him. Um, Kuzma, you're right. Like the, He's been too inconsistent mm-hmm. for me. So as you said, even when he gets those roles, he's not necessarily doing a ton with it. Um, he's also got, you know, David Bertans, who yeah. they paid big money last offseason, coming off a very bad year, you know, slowed by COVID initially, only really started to find his rhythm later in the year. Uh, and he can play both fa- uh, forward spots, so he's going to get minutes from one of these guys. But I'm with you on Hachimura, and actually I've gotten steadily higher and higher on him. Uh, I ripped into him for the utter lack of blocks in a recent podcast, and that's definitely a concern. 
But if you're willing to overlook that, he's not going to hurt you in percentages. He doesn't turn the ball over. Mm -hmm. So that's a nice plus for nine cat. If he can get his steals up to like 1.2 per game, maybe two assists. I don't know if that's asking too much, but he was at 1.6 last year. Uh, you know, seven to eight boards. You really need him to be a plus contributor mm -hmm. in rebounds. Uh, and then the scoring's going to come. He's a good. He's a good scorer. Got a natural nose for the, for scoring points. Uh, has three point range. So I quite like him. I think he's going to take yet another step forward. So I'm with you. I think I'd go Hachimura then Kuzma, and then you can keep Bertans for me. I mean, he's a one-category yeah. specialist anyway, right? I think, yeah, I agree with that. And a quick note on Avdia, I kind of wonder if moving to the second unit may get him more playmaking opportunity. So I think that's something I keep my eye on, at least early in the season. I don't know if he's a draftable player for me from the start, but, you know, we get in the preseason, if he's on that second unit, when they're giving him opportunities to be the man on the ball making plays, that might make him someone worth looking into adding like early in the season. But yeah, I don't think he's really a draftable guy at this point. I like that. That's something to keep an eye on because you're it's not like the Wizards bench is screaming playmakers yeah. left and right. And frankly, I didn't watch. Avdija's role seemed to change so frequently mm -hmm. last season. It was really hard to get a, a feel for who he was or what he was going to do. Uh, but definitely a player, as you said, to watch throughout camp in the preseason. Um, all right, let's talk about another crowded situation, and that is in Atlanta uh, with all of their wings. So what do you make? We've got Bogdan Bogdanovich, Kevin Herter, Lou Williams uh, re-signed on that five million. I think it's five million one year deal. Then you've got DeAndre Hunter, who's back and healthy. Cam Reddish, we saw uh, return to health and have some fantastic games in the postseason. That's a lot of a lot of quality players uh, who pretty much only overlap at two positions, although Hunter can play some power forward. He's got Danilo Gallinari and John Collins there, so I don't know how much he can shift up. Um, so what, what do you make of this? Let's start with um, with the shooting guard spot, Bogdanovich, Herter, Lou Will. I think Bogdanovich, I kind of look at him as a mid-round guy personally. Um, I think he had some really good moments in the postseason throughout. You know, once he was healthy, he was one of the keys. I know we like to focus on Trey Young and, and then John Collins as well in terms of how they played in the postseason, but I thought Bogdanovich stepping up was, was a big key for him getting to the conference finals. Um, you know, you mentioned me picking up Herter last season. He's not a top 100 guy, but I think he's right outside there because he gives you a little bit of everything. Like his numbers aren't going to pop off the page, but, you know, he can give you some playmaking, some supplementary playmaking, some scoring, some three-point shooting. He can give you a little bit of everything. You know, he's not a prolific box guy, but that's fine as far as I'm concerned. His percentages won't kill you. He should get drafted, and I think some people may overlook him in the draft process just because he's going to be coming off the bench again. Yeah, I'm one of those people who, uh, you know, I'm all primed to overlook him simply because of this logjam, and it's hard for me to see his ceiling be yeah. realized, I guess, mm -hmm. with, with so many players in his way. But to your point, he, it, you know, if he's going to contribute a little bit across the board yeah. and not hurt you anywhere, that's a quality guy. And then he's one injury away from, mm -hmm. sure enough, seeing 32, 30, 32 plus minutes a game. And that's beyond what you'd need. Yeah. Um, as for Bogdanovich as a mid-round guy, I love that. I think per minute, he was fantastic last year. And you're right, he tends to get overlooked because he's kind of a you know, second, third option frequently. Um, but, it, and probably I'm, I'm sort of hoping, although I'll do my best to hype him up and, and you, it sounds like you're on that path too. 
you know, his postseason run, he definitely had some good games, but he shot under 40% yeah. from the field. There was a, nag- a nagging injury that really slowed him down. You could tell his shots just were not falling like they were in the final months of the season mm. when he was on fire. Uh, but I'm looking for him to get back to that guy. He's right in his prime, 29 years old, uh, can do it all. And I love the fact that he can play so many different positions, really. You could put him out there in any number of lineups and he can contribute offensively, hold his own defensively. Um so hopefully that'll get him into that 28-30 minute range, which yeah. is all he needs for mid-round. Does Reddish do anything for you? We saw him come back, had a couple big games, but during the regular season, he shot 36.5%, couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. What's your take on Cam? I have him lower than, than Herter, just because obviously he'll be a backup as well, but you mentioned the injury concerns, and, and that's what kind of scares me off of him. Um, Hunter's had some, DeAndre Hunter's had some injury, injury issues too, but when both of you, your starter and your backup at the three have those same concerns, you know, how, how much are you willing to gamble on that backup? You know, I'm not really willing to do that. As you noted, he showed some serious flashes in the playoffs, but I, I wouldn't go with him. I think Hunter's a guy that you're going to see come off the board in a lot of leagues, as he should, just because of his starting role and what he can potentially give you defensively. But Reddish, I think, Late round flyer, that's probably about as high as I'm willing to go with him at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And as for Hunter, I'll need to see him truly healthy yeah. in training camp in preseason because he burned. I mean, I, I was able to pick him up in a couple leagues last year, and I was thrilled initially mm-hmm. because he was fantastic. It looked like a, a really, really good waiver wire pickup. But then that I think it was a right knee injury yeah. that he just could not shake. M- missed weeks, if not a, a month or so in the middle of the season, came back. Only lasted a couple games, was out again, came back, wasn't as himself. So it was that yo-yo effect and there was no lasting value to be had for most of the season. So that's got me kind of, you know, uh, what's the what's the phrase? Once bitten, twice shy, yeah, yeah. shying away from him a little bit. But yeah, if he looks fully healthy and ready to roll in the preseason, then uh, quickly I could view him, you know, ahead of Reddish, but still in that mm-hmm. late round sort of flyerish range. Um, anyone else in this situation? Obviously, Lou Will, we're not going to go near. Yeah, so. Lou Will is going to need some bad luck injury-wise, in my opinion. Obviously, he can go off and give them some big scoring nights. But as we saw in the playoffs, after a while, teams kind of figured him out when he was put in a more prominent role. You know, Milwaukee was able to kind of exploit him in that series for the couple games until Trey Young was back in the lineup. So, yeah, I wouldn't touch him. Yeah, and he's going to be what thirty six maybe this year. Yeah, so. he's up there. One more, one more reason to be skeptical. <laughs> okay, let's move on to a different front court uh, in the East. Let's talk about the Nets center spot. So, I, you know, I, in prep for this pod, I was I was wondering is DeAndre Jordan relevant in any league depth, regardless of settings or team build? We saw him fall completely out of the rotation in the postseason, and I see you shaking your head. This could be a, a very quick discussion. Um, that, that's a no. Um, right? Yeah, unless your league has like a team morale category, you really don't need to draft <laughs> him. Okay. It was quite obvious by the end of the season that they wanted him out of the rotation. Yeah. Like it wasn't anything malicious yes. because obviously he's got great relationships with their stars, but when that's the only value you're bringing to the table, that doesn't help any of us fantasy managers at all. So yeah, no, he, no, I can't. Yeah, he's one of those 
one of those centers, I mean, not to say that they're the same guy, but in the mold of uh, like type Andre Drummond and Dwight mm-hmm. Howard, they're just not of this era of basketball. Yeah. And the things that DeAndre Jordan used to be able to do well, he no longer does as well. And even those skills aren't that valued currently. So his, yeah, he's he's toast. So that leaves us with Blake Griffin, who was their starting center down the stretch last year, and Nicholas Claxton, who is a sort of fantasy favorite, but can't seem to get the reliable minutes he needs. Do you have any optimism for him breaking through, or do you think Blake in, uh, is going to be a buzzkill again? I, I actually do have optimism for him, because you know, you're going back nice. to the 82-game schedule. Um, the pre, the offseason, so to speak, is going to be a little bit shorter, just so they can get back on that clock. And this is the third year for Claxton. I think the training wheels are going to come off, and we've seen flashes from him. I think for a team that's championship or bust, it's kind of hard to say that their ceiling is a bit limited just because, you know, they're supposed to be a championship contender. But in terms of Brooklyn, their ceiling gets even higher if they have Claxton serving in a prominent role, in my opinion. Like Griffin can obviously help them. He showed them some flashes last year and wasn't a liability when he was in the lineup. But I just think they can get a little bit more from that lineup as a whole. And you've got Claxton with the rim runs, the athletic finishing above the rim. And he gives you a little bit more as a shot blocker, too, I think. So I'm pretty optimistic on Claxton personally going into this season. Nice. It's always good to have my biases confirmed. And I'm glad that you you are also high on Claxton because I I quite like him. And I think... I would say the optimism What's that up? so many people on our staff have for Robert Williams should be directed towards Nicholas Claxton, in my opinion. Oh, okay. That that'll be a fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Matt Strapp would would uh, push back on that too. So I'll save that one. That particular angle. Too. But as for, I mean, I think Blake probably played as much as he did down the stretch because yeah. the Nets were missing big, you know, mm-hmm. multiple parts of their big three in the postseason, then they needed Blake's range. Yeah. I mean, he was shooting a bunch of threes and really generating offense at, at times, and they needed that. Whereas most of the time, they are not going to need that. Mm-hmm. And the only real, I mean, Claxton offensively didn't take a single shot at a 14, outside of 14 feet in the playoffs. During the entire regular season last year, he was 34% from beyond four feet. Uh So obviously he doesn't have the range, and yet that doesn't bother me because they don't need him to have range. That's not his role. He's going to be extremely low usage in those situations. He shot below 50% from the free throw line, I think. But Mm -hmm. again, not going to get there. So doesn't really bother me. Uh, So as long as he gets the rebounds, steals, and blocks, which he has shown a lot of per-minute promise in, and as you said, this you know he's only getting better, uh, I see the role growing. So... I think both of us are on board with drafting him. The question is, how early do you reach? It might be different in roto, uh, you know, in edge leagues yeah. where we're fighting each other for him. But in general, do you think he'll be there around a hundred when uh, one twenty when people are looking for a second, third center to add to their squad? I think that's about the point where I take him. I wouldn't go too much higher than that. Um, you know, if you get a little skittish and try to take him earlier, if you see a run on other centers, I can understand that, but. In a conventional league, I think letting him go to just outside the top 100 should be fine. Okay, I feel like you're gonna be you're gonna be getting your man a lot because the, the, you know yeah. there is gonna be a rush on Robert Williams and and other guys like this. Oh, we got Steve back. Ah, I was in. I was backstage, <laughs> banging on the door to get in for 20 minutes. Yeah, it was, in, it was in limbo. Painful. Oh, I had I so much. I had so much I wanted to say see, about this... Rui Hachimura. <laughs> 
Oh, sorry, Steve. See, this is where Matt Straup, his his veteran handling of that situation yeah. would have gone much smoother. Do you want to quickly weigh in on Claxton, Steve? Are you are you high on um, him? Who? Nick Claxton? No, Speedy, well, actually, Speedy Claxton. I, I missed no, that whole conversation because uh, <laughs> I was talking to Steven to get me back into this room. So I, I'm not even oh, okay. on, on a page. Let, let's just move on to the next topic. Let's, let's. No worries. We, we, we were wrapping that one up. Let's talk about Celtics point guard. We have Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, Smart, I know I personally have gone up and down on a couple times, very high on him. Then the Celtics bring in Dennis Schroeder. Suddenly it looks a little dicier, but now you have head coach Ime Udoka saying, you know, talking about Smart, like, like the world they call he called him a foundational piece called him quote invaluable continues to talk about him in the same breath as jason tatum and jalen brown and basically looks set to start him at point guard and see what happens uh what does that do for you steve he's 27 years old to begin with uh he just signed a major huge contract with the celtics they're gonna let him have the keys and and drive the car uh, apparently but dennis schroeder's there Peyton Pritchard's there. Pritchard was good last year. Uh, Schroeder's going to play. Schroeder, I mean, turned down. He wanted to go join the Celtics. So I don't I don't know. I, I don't think that Marcus Smart is gifted enough offensively to be one of those special point guards. But, you know, his steals are key. He's going he's gonna to put up numbers across the board. I think he's going to be a good, you know, mid-level solid point guard i don't think he's gonna hurt you anywhere but i'm not like excited about going and, and trying to draft him raf are you, you you in the same boat there yeah if if you're drafting your team and you end up in a spot where marcus smart is your first point guard you're in trouble like i, I think he's a good piece for the celtics but fantasy wise you don't want to get to that point in the draft where you're searching for a point guard and Marcus Smart has to be your guy because that means you let a lot of, a lot of better options go at that point. But, um, man, it, he gives you a lot defensively. He's clearly the heart and soul of that team in terms of leadership and whatnot. But the percentages at times concern me. Like, we've seen him have some lights-out shooting performances and some, frankly, flat-out bad ones in terms of settling too much of three-pointers. So, I don't know. I... Man, I, I, obviously he should get drafted, but it's one of those things where I kind of wonder if they have too many pieces at the point of the monster. Because you've got Schroeder, who turned down $84 million and ends up with a month six. And then you got Peyton Pritchard. You know, obviously the Kings kind of took him out of the equation in the Summer League title game, but that doesn't worry me too much. He played well up to that point. And as, and as Steve noted, he played pretty well as a rookie too. So he's going to have to get his minutes as well. You know, so we'll see what happens there because I don't know how much they're going to be able to play two point guards because you also have to consider you got Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum could slide up on occasion, and Aaron Neesmith as well. I think he's going to be in, in line for a bigger role this coming season too. So I'm not too sold on Smart. I'll just let somebody else take it. Yeah, that's fair, fair enough. And I think last year Smart's minutes at 32-something were a career high 
a little tricky to see him going higher than that. And even if he does, how does that impact his durability, which is already a question mark? And I think that's one of those style of play type things, like a guy like Pat Beverly, who's just constantly being physical and reaching and just picking up little ticky-tack injuries that add up and eventually lead to DMPs. So that's a concern for Smart. You mentioned the percentages. I mean, sub 40% field goals in all but one season in his seven NBA years. So he's kind of a known commodity. I, I guess that's a better question is, do you feel like he has another gear as the starter? It sounds like neither of you are, are too sold on the him. Weird, last year and, you know, throughout his career, he's been like a, a number three fantasy point guard. Like Roth said, you do not want Marcus Smart as your number one point guard. If you get down to, you know, right. late in your draft and, and you need another point guard and he's sitting there, that's when you take Marcus Smart. And I feel like none of us have like we all feel exactly the same way about him, even though he just got paid and he's and Kim is <laughs> gone and all like he's the man. It hasn't really changed our yeah. opinion on him. So I'm sort of wondering if we are sleeping on him and he's going to be better than we think he's going to be because he's going to like like I said at the very beginning, have the keys to the car in his hand. I don't I don't really know. But as of this second, I'm not planning on reaching for for Marcus Smart. Yeah, I think 60 to 80 range is probably where I would feel comfortable because, again, you're getting a point guard who's not going to win you assists. He'll help, but he's not going to win it. He's not going to same thing with three pointers and he's going to hurt your percentages, all that stuff. Uh, all right, let's move on to Milwaukee where their shooting guard spots. A bit of a question mark. You have Dante DiVincenzo coming off the injury. Uh, Pat Connaughton played fantastic throughout the, the postseason, may have played its way into more minutes. Uh, and then Grayson Allen basically filling that Bryn Forbes role, I think, with three-point shooting, probably 15 to 20 minutes a game. Uh, DiVincenzo was good at times. Steve, I remember you in particular talking him up. Uh, I, I think Matt had him on a bunch of rosters, possibly Raf too. Um, but now he's coming back from injury. Grayson's there. Anyone in this group jump out at you? Steve. Not really, but uh, Matt was high on DiVincenzo coming in the <laughs> season as a as a sleeper, and I was like, eh, I don't know. And then once I once okay. I watched him play, once once he got going during the season, he was pretty good. Like he was definitely worth having yeah. on your fantasy team. That's kind of crowded though. DiVincenzo, Grayson Allen, he's going to get minutes. He got you know he played a lot last year with what Memphis, and then Pat Connaughton played so much in the playoffs and, and down the stretch after Connaughton got hurt or after DiVincenzo got hurt. Uh, Connaughton is totally just a one hit wonder guy. Like he, he, he's a shooter and that's, that's about it. DiVincenzo is more of a, a fantasy factor um, numbers across the board. I haven't looked at his percentages lately, but I think he's going to be, I think DiVincenzo should bounce back from the injury and, and be good to go. Seems like a mid round pick to me. I'd say outside of top 100. Um, not too far out of there. Because you remember, he shot 42% from the field last season. And that's not that's not terrible, but it's not great, especially when you consider who he's playing off of. You know, you'd want that in the mid to high 40s, personally. Um, average two three-pointers per game. So I, he gave you 11th round value in nine cap last season, according to Basketball Monster. I'd expect something similar from him this year even with the addition of Grayson Allen, because I, I've never been sold on Grayson Allen as a fantasy option. I think he was in a log jam in Memphis. Um, much of the frustration of many of us, you know, DeAnthony Melton not playing as much as a lot of us thought he should. And they added Desmond Bain as well. 
And he comes into a similar situation here. I think Connaughton gives you a little bit more defensively. Um, so he's going to play. But, yeah, DiVincenzo, I think 11th round, around there is fair. But he's had injury issues in the past, as we've seen. So if someone wants to wait a little bit longer, I can certainly understand that. I'm with you. That actually surprised me, Ralph. I didn't realize that DiVincenzo's percentage is uh, 42% from the field, as you said, and 718 from the line. Yeah. So not a guy. Like, I viewed him as a nine-cat, well-rounded mm-hmm. guy who's not going to hurt you, and yet he will. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have much to add there. Let's go to Dallas and talk about the Mavs center spot. Basically, this looks like a mess to me on paper. I mean, just listing off these names, I don't even know that we need to talk too much about this. Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleber, Moses Brown they brought in. They re-signed Boban Marjanovic. And then you have Chris Stapps Porzingis, who has said in the past repeatedly that he prefers minutes at center. Is there any hope for any? I mean, obviously Porzingis, but is there any hope for anyone else in this group? Didn't they re-sign Willie Cauley-Stein too? Is he, I think he's oh, did back. I not? Yeah, I think you're. <laughs> so I think you're right. Cauley-Stein. Yep, they did. Like of the guys he listed, I would probably say Kleber, just because if they wanted to play Porzingis at the five more, I think he's the best equipped to kind of shift over to the four. Um, Powell can give you rebounding and whatnot, but I don't know. And, and the thing about Kleber is that it was reported that. The Bulls may be interested in him if there were a sign and trade for Lowry Markinen. And he's probably the one guy whose salary could kind of help Dallas make that happen if they truly wanted Markinen. So that's kind of a, a wild card to consider in all of this. I'm not sold on Powell. He, he's better within their rotation than he is fantasy wise for me. Not sold on Moses Brown because he goes to a team where they're a clear playoff team as opposed to in Oklahoma City where they could kind of just throw him out there and let him play through his mistakes because that team was terrible. Um, so, yeah, Boban's a matchup guy. You know, basically, if he certain matchups he'll play, but most nights he's not going to play at all. So there's no reason to draft him at all. You know, Matt and I talk a lot about guys that are serviceable and intriguing, and I'm I'm extremely intrigued by Moses Brown. I'm not sure he should be at the bottom of the depth chart. When Moses Brown played a lot of minutes last year for OKC, like he put up numbers, like good numbers. I think the potential's there. They've already run Chris Porzingis and Maxi Kleber and Dwight Powell and Willie Colley-Stein and Boban. Like all those guys have already been there and done that at center for Dallas. And none of them um, have really done much i'm not sure that any of them have even met expectations cleaver's probably been the best one at center for them so i i hope that moses brown has a good camp and and gets to play some minutes at center for them but i mean it's basically a fantasy dumpster fire as far as fantasy as far as center position in dallas goes i mean porzingis and cleaver are the two guys that you should be looking at i think a, a last round Flyer on Moses Brown might be might be worth it. Um, if, if Brian Rosenworcel and I and Matt Straub start our per-minutes league, then Boban's obviously going to be a, a stud in a per-minutes league, but I don't know of any leagues like that that actually exist right now. That would be so fun, and please reserve a spot for me if you do indeed kick up your uh, Rosenworcel, Straub, Dr. A per-minute league. I, yeah, I love the concept of that. Uh, and I'm fully with you guys. I, th- there's nobody here that intrigues me. I mean, even Maxi Kleber, we saw, was a favorite of Rick Carlisle, played almost 27 minutes per game last year and 
barely cracked like deep league nine cat value. So where where's the upside? I don't know. Maybe Jason Kidd settles on Moses Brown or something as his go to center. I tend to doubt it. I wouldn't be surprised if Brown finds himself in the G League at times this year just to get minutes. So, yeah, taking a pass on that on the field, I guess, in, in Dallas. Um, as for the Nuggets point guard, we've got Jamal Murray who, as of this record, has no firm time frame for a return. Typically, a six to nine month rehab would be about right. So that would mean October to January. Do you have any flyer interest? Uh, Steve, I know Facundo Campazzo was good for you, treated you well last year, uh, but you've got Monte Morris there. Between those two guys, even if it's just to start the season or to pair with Murray in a draft. Facundo was a, was a hot topic when I was on a yacht in a Key West. Somebody somebody on Twitter was like, were you on a yacht for that podcast? I was like, no, I was not on a yacht, but I was on the water. But anyway, yeah, we were talking a lot. Of, I was talking a lot about Compazzo all the way, like from the start of the playoffs all the way, actually before the playoffs all the way through the playoffs. And and he played pretty well. And, and he made a little bit of noise. Monty Morris on paper is the guy that you want to – to tie to Jamal Murray if Murray's not healthy to start the season. But I'm also not scared to take Compasso either. He's he's kind of my guy. Raph, you touching e- either of these guys, Monty um, and Compasso? Maybe more, just because he takes care of the basketball more than anything. Um, you know, so turnovers aren't going to hurt you there. But, yeah, I think either way, you're, lo- you're looking at two late-round guys at, at this point in the process. I don't really see either one really jumping off the page fantasy-wise. If anything, I'll be honest, I'd probably take a final, a late round fire on Bones Island, if anything. You know, if I'm going to roll the dice. Oh, I'm, nice. Okay. If I'm going to roll the dice, I'm rolling the dice on Bones personally. So, um, yeah, he had a really good summer league. Obviously, summer league and regular season are two completely different animals. But if they want a little bit more explosiveness at that point guard position, I think Highland may be the one that, to give it to them. Well, that's interesting. So you watch you watch more college ball than I yeah. think Steve or I. Uh, I didn't even realize that Bones was point guard capable. I thought he was kind of a shoot more strict shooting he guard. He can do it. Mold. Yeah, I I, don't, I think he, nice. early okay. on, I think he might be a bit more of a microwave type player where they bring him in second unit and see if he can make some things happen scoring. A little bit, a little bit of a facilitator. Um, obviously, if you're looking for a pure point guard, it's going to be even more to Campazzo. But like I said. I see them both as late round guys. And at that point, especially in a deeper league, I might be better served just roll the dice on bones and see where that takes me. I like that point because late, you know, at that point in the draft, right, it's usually when we're drafting for upside, drafting for ceiling, drafting, you know, someone who might come through. You've already got your established core of your team. Let's just try to get get lucky, buy some lottery tickets. So if you draft Compazzo or Morris, you're basically just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And in the meantime, what tops you're getting like top 75 value at best for a month or two or so i'm with you understandable to be pretty tepid on on our interest in those two teats and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. This is a pretty open-ended question here, not necessarily a position battle, but I wanted to move to L.A., talk about the Lakers. You look at the big three, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Westbrook, beyond those three guys, who in any position could you see emerging as fantasy relevant? Like who who might you draft beyond the big three? It's it's a struggle for me. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Maybe Carmelo Anthony super late maybe trevor ariza oh okay um are they really good are there centers really dwight howard and mark gasol like or is this <laughs> is, are, is something wrong with our depth charts we're playing a prank on you <laughs> real? is this really happening um in reality they need wayne ellington to shoot the ball like he's gonna have to he's gonna have to shoot the ball but you're right man the rest of this like kendrick nunn i kind of like him a lot but He's he's um, playing behind Westbrook, so that's that's not good. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I I'm, I probably am not drafting any of those guys after the big three. All right, any anyone, Raph? Um, I'd probably take a late round flyer on Taylor Horton Tucker personally. Uh, they just paid him a, a decent amount of money to keep that's him a good call. in the hold. He's got some playmaking ability. How much he'll be able to do it is the question. I think none you can play off the ball a little bit, which may ultimately help Horton Tucker uh, in terms of getting a little bit of additional value from an assist standpoint. So I think if I were to roll the dice on anyone, it would probably be him late just because of the whole feeling slash upside factor that, that you talked about a little earlier. I'm fully into that. I like, as you said, Steve, I like none a little bit, but I think Horton Tucker is Probably if there's going to be a dark horse guy to emerge here, probably him. Plus, it helps that the Lakers continue to talk him up. They seem yeah. to love him. And forgive me if I'm remembering this wrong, but I feel like they based the Lakers basically made him like untouchable in a trade for I think Kyle Lowry last year. Mm-hmm. Like they they wanted to get Horton Tucker back, and the Lakers just said, "Nah, we're not going to mortgage yeah. the, the the future like that to take a shot at it with with Lowry." Uh, which speaks obviously volumes about how they view him and how they view his growth and and the role that he can fill for them. So, uh, you know, if there's gonna gonna be a lottery ticket, maybe it's THT. Um, who else could we? Okay, let's go. Speaking of Lakers trades that didn't happen, let's talk about the Kings and Buddy Heald, who is obviously a trade candidate. Nearly went to the Lakers. Uh, Sam Amick in the Athletic wrote recently about De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, and Davion Mitchell. Quote. To hear Kings officials tell it, they are optimistic about the idea of routinely running three-guard lineups. Where do you land on healed, guys? Given that uncertainty, uh, Raph, let's start with you. Man, that's a really good question. I think fantasy-wise, I think he's obviously a guy that you have to take personally, I think. I'd say, I guess I would say middle rounds. I don't really know. I think middle rounds would be fair for him given what he produces. That being said, this was... 
an extremely bad defensive team last season. And Davion Mitchell is right there to help them address that. Um, you know, when you see him defend, you have no choice as a teammate but to defend yourself. And I think that's what's going to get him on the floor early. And he ends up shooting that he shot the ball quite well in Vegas overall, if I'm not mistaken. So that's another bonus. Is he the shooter that Buddy Heald is? No. But I think the difference that he can make up defensively will be enough to cover for that. The question is, what can the Kings get in return if they were to trade Buddy Heald? So personally, I, I think, man, I want to say middle round for Heald, but I'm not really too sold on that. Like if you put a put me to like to the fire and said you have to take him middle round, I probably wouldn't be that confident in him. But I can if someone does it, go right ahead and do it. Yeah, I used to be more confident drafting Buddy Heald than I should have been. Like fourth, fifth round, and he was there, I'd be like, Oh, this is the year Buddy Heald breaks out. This is when he puts it all together. But I tell you what, with Davion Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, all there, they're all gonna get minutes. The whole we're trading Buddy Heald, he's he's moving and then he's not thing doesn't sit all that well with me. But I mean, he's a good player. He's gonna get minutes. He's gonna play for this team regardless of what what the relationship is like, or regardless of who else is there. I mean, it's not it's not like Buddy Heald's just gonna go away. But I'm I'm more um, thinking about Buddy Heald more like you know seventh round somewhere in there instead of fifth. Uh, in the past, I've always been like, "Oh, buddy's there in the fifth. I'm taking him." No, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait. I'm, seven or eight seems right. That's. I'm glad you said that. I think seventh round is probably where I'd start to look for him. And I'm in the same boat, Steve. I was, I was burned by Heald last year. In fact, because I think two years ago he had a great season. Last year I kind of chased that a little bit, and it did not go well. Obviously, um, you know, he has problems with his role. He doesn't want to come off the bench, which is potentially a huge problem, as we've said now with with. Uh, Davion Mitchell there to address the Kings, who I, were, I believe are the worst defensive rating in the league last year. That's part of the reason. I mean, Mitchell made clear he didn't expect to go to Sacramento, didn't seem thrilled about it. But the Kings made sort of a team fit decision there to bolster their up and coming backcourt, get some defense in the mix. Uh, Heald also shot really poorly last year. I mean, he shot under 42 percent every month of the season up until April, I believe. Uh, and he's just a one category guy for the most part, like he'll chip in here and there, but his value is so heavily concentrated in three pointers and threes are easy to find on the waiver wire. There's three point shooters left and right. So not a category that I'm chasing in drafts. So yeah, seventh, eighth sounds right. Um, Raph, you seem high on Davion Mitchell. Are you, are you targeting him? And if so, uh, where would that be? I don't know if I'd say I'd be targeting him. Like, I don't think the Kings expected him to be on the board and pick number nine. I, I would say that first and foremost. Um, but yeah, I think he's like, I wouldn't put him in like the Jalen Green slash Cade Cunningham area if we're talking about ranking rookies. But he may be part of that mix in that, I guess you'd say, second level of rookies if we're ranking rookies rookies for possible fantasy impact just because he has a clear skill that can help the Kings right away. And I think once you get past Green and Cunningham, there's kind of an absence of those guys, maybe Jalen Suggs in Orlando as well, in terms of them needing a, a true floor general. But outside of those three, I think there's an absence of those guys in, in this rookie class in terms of guys who have like a 
one area that they can help a team immediately in. Mitchell can help them defensively. Will that turn out like one and a half steals per game? I don't know. But he's not exactly a liability offensively either. So that's why I think he's going to end up playing a prominent role for the Kings this season. He would be one of my, like, I don't know. I'm kind of talking in circles here. So I don't know if I target him. But he's one of those rookies that I think people should look to grab in their drafts if they can. That's what I feel like. Uh, I, I don't think Davion Mitchell is a guy I'm going to target. I think Davion Mitchell is a rookie that if it's getting near the end of the draft and he's sitting there and his name looks better than the other names that are sitting there next to him, uh, I'm going to take him. Like, I'm not afraid to draft Davion Mitchell near the end of my draft. I'm not going to reach for him. I don't, he's not a guy I, I need to have, but I also would not be scared to draft him uh, late. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, but also that I won't end up with him because people like rookies and rookies have unknown upside and that's fun. And that's a big part of what fantasy is. So uh, probably he'll be gone by the final rounds when I'm when I'm looking for him. But so be it. Uh, hopefully he has a great year. Raph, final thought here. I noticed you left out Evan Mobley in that top tier of fantasy rookies. Are you putting him in that second tier? You don't you don't see him as I think he's in coming that out with early round value? Yeah, I think he's in that second tier personally. And it's not exactly his fault either. Cleveland still hasn't cleaned up that front court situation. We got Kevin Love still there. You got Larry Nance Jr. still there. Chetty Osmond still there. What many of us would like to see is the starting front court of Mobley and Jared Allen. Will we see that and when? That's the big question. Then you add in the backcourt. You know, Garland has been improved, but you still got Colin Sexton there. So how many touches per game is Evan Mobley going to get? And so I think that's my biggest concern from him. So that's why I kind of have him in the second tier as opposed to the first tier in terms of rookies. I am also deeply concerned about the Cavs court spacing yeah I mean, where are they going to get three-point shooting from especially if they're starting allen alongside mobley with okoro uh colin sexton not known for his perimeter shooting and then the bench unit should struggle in that regard barring some miracle from kevin love uh that i don't think any of us see coming so yeah a lot of lot more questions and answers and brian what right was now. my over under for games played by kevin love did i say 16 the other day yeah, sixteen. So I have zero faith 16. in Kevin Love. I think he's the the new uh, Al Horford. I I just can't imagine Kevin Love. That I can't imagine Cleveland being dumb enough to let Kevin Love, you know, uh, impact the development of Evan Mobley. Larry Nance has been there, done that, and had chance after chance after chance to have a big season. Dean Wade actually uh, had it like five pretty fun games last year but he's not he's not a factor i think I, i'm pretty high on mobley uh I, I doubt i'm i'm like ryan i'm old school i'm not gonna probably go out and reach for mobley far enough to get him on any of my teams but i i mean i you have to think cleveland management understands what's happening here and they've, they've got to get mobley minutes and, and tons of them this year yeah and i like that we've seen i mean it's, it's a different situation, but the fact that they drafted Garland and Sexton and there was huge questions about their fit and still are, and yet they forced them onto the court. Like They were like, we're going to play these guys and give them minutes, and that's still where the franchise is with that mindset and mentality. So you would think that that bodes well for Mobley. Uh, but to Raph's point, they need to clean up the front court before we can say that with confidence. Right. I think um, them still. Because it's, 
bit of a mess. Still rough. Oh, I'll say them still sticking with Garland and Sexton, even though we have tangible evidence that it doesn't work, is why I'm concerned. I, I it's weird. I feel like I trust Mobley more than I trust that front office, and that's why I'm kind of not as high on him fantasy wise as other people would be. Well, I like how you said, you know, I'm not that high on him, but it's not his fault. It's the Cleveland front office fault. <laughs> um, but also, like, and I know, I know it's time to go, but Darius Garland versus Ricky Rubio in a position battle. Like Rubio went off in the Olympics. Like he looked like old <laughs> school, young, awesome Ricky Rubio. And I don't think he's just going to go to Cleveland and be like, oh yeah, just this is a great team. I'll just be a backup and help out. I don't think it's he's going to go in that quietly. <laughs> I think that's going to be an interesting battle. And, and Rubio, if he plays anything like he did in the Olympics, he's going to, they're going to have to play him decent minutes steve i i hate to end the podcast on a disagreeable note but i do think that that rubio is stuck in a backup role i don't i don't think cleveland has any intention of even letting him fight for the starting job and he did finish the year behind d'angelo russell last year after initially staying as the starter and they found some continuity but i think at this stage in his career he's kind of accepted i would hope that that's his role and he can be really good in that second unit role. So I'm not too worried about it for fantasy because he's still going to get a ton of touches with that second unit, still get his dimes and steals. And, you know, as long as the playing time is there, which he should be able to get 28 plus per game. Well, so I'm not I, too worried about him. But as, it's a good way to end the position battle pod with, with a discussion of will the Cavs have a position Ralph battle? As Ralph said point earlier, we have tangible evidence that Garland and Sexton does not work. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. I think, I think they would trade Sexton before they start Ricky <laughs> Rubio to try to unlock Sexton, whatever the thinking would be there. All right. Well, let's let's end on that note, guys. Thanks for breaking all this down. Obviously, there will be a lot more position battles to discuss in the coming months. And as I said at the top, your regular host, Matt Straub, will be back with us on the next episode. I'm sure we all look forward to that. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.